Thank you for that prayer, Jim, this morning. I really appreciate it. Well, this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as you can see, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Um, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. We return this week to the Gospel of John, and we're in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, John 21, and we're going to look at the verse, the first 14 verses. The Gospel of John, chapter 21, and the first 14 verses will be our text this morning. As I have shared with you as we've gone through the Gospel of John, chapters 20 and 21 all have to do with the resurrection of Jesus. It is the longest section in any of the four Gospels on the resurrection. It is about the resurrection of Jesus and examples of his many post-resurrection appearances. And that's again what we're looking at this morning. In chapter 20, we saw the empty tomb. We saw that the stone was rolled away and Jesus was gone. Then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Then Jesus appears to his disciples in a room that was locked, except Thomas wasn't there. One week later, he appears again to his disciples in a room that was locked, and Thomas is there. And Thomas has a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ. And then at the end of chapter 20 in verses 30 and 31, we have the whole purpose for the Gospel of John in those two verses. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose, the whole reason for the Gospel of John. And that brings us to chapter 21 and those first 14 verses. The first two words are after this. And so that's why I wanted to share that with you. After this. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it laid out on it and bread Jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you have just caught 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, our first point this morning is gone fishing. John chapter 21 has been called the appendix or the epilogue to the gospel of John. We come to verses 30 and 31 of chapter 22, and in a natural reading of the gospel of John, it seems like this is where the book should end. But it doesn't. We have this last chapter, and it's obviously there for a very important reason. It's interesting. In the Gospel of John, when we started almost two years ago, first we looked at the prologue. The prologue for the Gospel of John is found in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 18. Then we have the whole life and redemptive work of Christ, and now we have the epilogue after the life and redemptive work of Christ. Christ. So the climax or conclusion of the book really seems to be chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. But Jesus is going to demonstrate in this last chapter, he is going to demonstrate to his disciples that his ministry will keep going and going even though, even though he is no longer physically among them. And in order to understand where the disciples are at at this point, it is important for us to grasp they are really wrestling with this whole concept that Jesus is no longer going to be physically among them. And he wants them to know that now, through the soon coming of the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Helper, He is going to live in them, and he is going to continue to be with them and to provide for them and to care for them. And that's what this section is all about. He wants them to understand what his ongoing ministry is now going to be like. I want you to jump all the way down to verse 14. Verse 14 says, Now this or this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, after he appears to Mary Magdalene, he appears to the disciples in that locked room, minus Thomas, comes a week later, appears to the disciples again in a locked room, just shows up in his resurrected body, and Thomas is there. So this is now the third time to his disciples he has appeared to others but this is the third time that he appears to his disciples and so go back up to verse 1 in verse 1 it says after this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way now we know from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 that Jesus appeared to his followers. He proved himself to be alive over a 40-day period of time with many convincing proofs that he was alive. And this, again, is one of them. 
And this is by the Sea of Tiberias. Just a little footnote this morning for those of you who may not know. It will help you as you read through the New Testament. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. The Jews called it the Sea of Galilee. The Romans called it the Sea of Tiberias, named after Tiberius Caesar. It was also known as the Lake of Gennesaret. And that's because there was a fairly large town on the Sea of Galilee named Gennesaret. And that will help you when Jesus goes to heal the demon-possessed man who was filled with a legion of demons. So, it's all the same thing. It's all the same body of water. It's all the Sea of Galilee. It's just called by different names at this time. Well, seven of Jesus' disciples go fishing because it's what they know and what they do. In verse 2, it says, Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So there is this group of men who were, for the most part, commonly together in the Gospels. We know that Peter, James, and John were together. Nathanael is often a part of that group. We don't know who the two other disciples were, although in every commentary I read, the best guess is that it's Andrew and Philip because Andrew and Philip tended to be with that group of men. The only one who seems to be odd man out here that isn't always a part of that group is Thomas. But I'll tell you what, now that Thomas has seen the Lord alive, he's not going to miss it anymore. He wasn't there that first appearance. He was the second. And Jesus humbles him and he makes that great confession, my Lord and my God, And I almost sense here he's not going to miss out on anything anymore. But verse 3 is really a key verse in this whole text. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, Simon Peter, as you know, was a rugged fisherman Um, He was a leader among those men. When he said he's going fishing, they most likely decided they were all going to go with him, at least all the other six, for there were seven of them. Jesus had told them, tell my disciples to go to Galilee, to the mountain, and wait for me. And I'm sure that's where they were at this time, but then they decide, I don't know when he's going to get here. So in the meantime, we're going to do what we do. I think they were struggling with how is this all going to play out? I mean, he's told us to go and make disciples of all nations. He said he's going to be with us to the end of the age. But I think they're really struggling with what does that mean. So I think in their own minds, they're thinking we still got to provide for ourselves. Still got to provide for our family. Still got to have something to eat. And so again, they did what they do. They did what they know to do. They go fishing together. And it said they went out and got into the boat, but that night they fish all night long and they catch nothing. And that is very, very important to this particular text. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. Jesus is about to teach them John fifteen five. Again, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless you abide in the vine, you cannot 
bear fruit. Keep that in mind as we go through that this morning. It's really the central theme in this whole passage. What he has taught them in the upper room, he is now going to teach them by a living illustration. In their own strength, in their own power, they spend all night long and they accomplish nothing. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the risen Savior. At daybreak, Jesus stands on the shore of the sea and once again appears to his disciples. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. We're going to see he's about 100 yards away. And so the question becomes, how come they didn't know it was Jesus? And I think there are two answers. There's a physical and there's a supernatural answer to that question. First of all, maybe at 100 yards they didn't realize exactly who it was. Maybe in the early morning it wasn't still fully light yet. That's a possibility. But I think the better answer, the supernatural answer is, and we have seen this in the Gospel of John, Somehow, way, Jesus in his resurrection body has to manifest himself to you in order for you to recognize him. So it wasn't obvious right away that it was Jesus. We see this in Luke 24, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They walk with Jesus for a long distance, and they don't know it's Jesus until they break bread together, and he reveals himself to them. We see this in John chapter 20 with Mary Magdalene in the garden outside of the tomb. She turns around and sees him, sees Jesus, and thinks he's who? The gardener. She thinks he's the gardener until Jesus says, Mary. And then she knew it was him. Rabboni, master. She knew. And I think that's part of this. They see this man, but they do not yet know that it is Jesus. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Jesus says to them, Children, the New International Version has friends. It's a very intimate term, my dear friends, my dear children. And if you're familiar with 1 John, one of John's epistles, he, used, he loves that term, dear children, intimate ones, close friends. He said, dear, dear children, do you have any fish? He knew they hadn't caught any fish. He wants them to answer, and they said no. And so he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. So they spent all night fishing, caught nothing. He says, cast the net on the right side. I'm sure they're thinking, okay. We've we've tried that many times, so they try it again, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. All of a sudden, their nets are full. Now, this obviously is a miracle, and it's a two-part miracle, I believe, because Jesus, being God, controls everything, including the fish of the sea, the fish in any lake. When fish travel together, they're called a school or a shoal. And I believe that Jesus supernaturally kept any fish from that boat. He kept them away. 
all night long. But now he commands the fish, and they're all there. They're all there. And they have this huge catch of fish, which is more than they can handle, the Bible says. So verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we now know in our study of the Gospel of John, is John himself. That's how he refers to himself. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. What a great moment. We see, and this shows us the difference between all of us. Some people, men or women, are more sensitive, they're thinkers, and I think John was that way. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He leaned on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. Peter's the impetuous one. It's action. He wants action. We're not going to sit around. We're going to go do it. So two very different men. We see this when they go to the tomb. John goes to the tomb and he bends down and looks in. Peter runs right past him. Goes into the tomb. Looks it all over. John comes in. Sees the linen garments there empty. And it says John believed. That's just who John is. John believes. And I think John in his spiritual insight and sensitivity says it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter wastes no time. He had stripped down for work. He was just in his bare undergarment, um, out there working hard all night long. So he puts on his outer garment, and I just love it. Says he threw himself into the sea. Doesn't mean he tiptoed down into the water, just kind of got over the side. No, he throws himself, throws himself into the sea because that's who Peter was. The other disciples, verse 8, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. So they're about 100 yards off. The water at that point is probably fairly shallow, so Peter can walk it, he can slush through it, and then they come along, and I want you to notice they're dragging the net. They couldn't get it into the boat. They're dragging the net. Now that's miracle number one. The large catch of fish. Jesus' supernatural control over the fish. That's miracle number one. Verse 9 has miracle number two. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. There's Jesus. There's a charcoal fire. There's fish on it. And there's bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have caught. Now, I want you to notice this. I don't think he's saying, I need some more fish for the meal. No, he's got it all taken care of. I think he says, bring some of the fish so that they can very specifically focus on that first miracle. So they, Simon Peter, went aboard and hauled the net ashore, and I think it implies that all of them hauled the the net ashore. Full, and I want you to notice, every word's important in every text of the Bible, large fish. These weren't minnows, these weren't little bluegills, these were large fish, 
153 of them. And 153 large fish should have easily broken the net, but it didn't because Jesus also controls the net. So it's amazing what's going on here. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. That may seem like a small thing, but that really caught my attention this week as I was studying. Come and have breakfast. The God of the universe, the one who created all the planets, who created all things and sustains all things, the one who created all the stars and knows each of the stars by name, makes breakfast. I don't know about you, I just think that's great. He makes breakfast for his disciples. He's not some cosmic, God is not some cosmic being off in the distant, off in the distance, aloof and uncaring. No, he is close and near to every one of us. And he cares about every single thing that every single one of us go through every single day. That's how close and intimate he is with all of us. Oh, don't you love that? Come on, man. Let's have breakfast together. I've got it all prepared. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I think they were kind of afraid to ask him. Like, if they said, are you the Lord? He'd have said, you still don't understand? You still don't know? So they dared not ask him who he was. Because they knew. They knew. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. So the God of heaven and earth sits down with his disciples, and he has, a, and he has breakfast with them. The breakfast that he had prepared. I want to bring this all together as we go to the Lord's Supper this morning. This entire living illustration teaches that the Christian life is not lived in our strength and power, but in the strength and power of Christ. This is at the heart and soul of the whole Christian life. It's not what we do. It's not our strength, our power, our wisdom. It's God's strength, God's power, and God's wisdom in us and through us. And until we grasp that truth we will be so frustrated. And it's a lifelong learning process and one that we learn over and over again. And I think it's interesting back, if we were to go back to Luke, Luke chapter 5, right in the early ministry of Jesus, he's with Peter, James, and John in the boat, and they had caught nothing. And then he provides a miraculous catch of fish. And now he's reteaching them that same lesson all these years later. But I want you to think with me of John 15. We sought to memorize together verses 1 through 11. He had just taught that maybe a week and a half, two weeks earlier in the upper room. He had taught them about abiding in me, abiding in the vine. Now he is living it out before them. I just want you to see that. He taught that in the upper room. Now he's living it out before them. The disciples were relying solely on their own talents and abilities as they go fishing. They defaulted to what they knew and what they do. They fished all night long and caught nothing. 
Then Jesus appears on the scene. And Jesus provides so many fish that the seven of them could barely handle the catch. And Jesus, God incarnate, cooks breakfast for his disciples. He had it all prepared. He had it all ready. We are taught this throughout the New Testament. Three passages that are worthy of your memorization at some point in your Christian life. Maybe you've already memorized them, but the first one is 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10, the Apostle Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I worked hard, but I want you to know it was not my power. It was not my strength. It was not my wisdom. It was the grace of God in me. It was the power of Christ in me. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, excuse me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then the passage we work through together, John 15, verses 4 and 5, the heart and soul of that passage. Jesus says to them, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He taught this, and now he lives it out before them. They fished all night long without abiding in the vine, and they caught nothing. As they abided in the vine, they had a catch they could barely even handle. As we go to communion this morning, I want you to learn that lesson again. I want for me to learn that lesson again, that apart from Christ, We can do nothing. As we share communion together, one deacon will pray for the bread and cup in just a moment. The deacons will hand out the bread and cup together. And then when everyone has been served, I will read a passage of scripture and we will eat and drink together. If you're watching by live stream this morning, while the deacons are serving communion, we encourage you during this time to use this as an important time of meditation and reflection, and we will share the Lord's Supper together at this time.